0: The of Carson Sistuli. This is Fangraph's Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraph's Audio, making again his second second appearance this week so, to, so as to better cover uh, uh, baseball's playoffs. He's the managing editor of Fangraph's Dave Cameron. As I record this introduction, uh, we're about perhaps three hours shy, uh, maybe, yeah, it looks like three hours shy of the beginning of the championship series, uh, in this case the, the National League between the Los Angeles Dodgers and The St. Louis uh, Cardinals, of course, the championship series have begun, or of course, we at least know uh, which teams uh, will be participating in them. Uh, Dave Cameron and What Falls speaks to that to to some degree. We also utilize this edition of the podcast in part to review uh, the games that have happened since the last time Um, Cameron and I spoke. That includes a game uh, in which Justin Verlander induced 24 swinging strikes, 18 of those On his fastball, I think that both of those are perhaps records. I don't know, but I think that they're both probably records for Justin Verlander himself, who of course uh, has already established himself, uh, had already previously established himself as one of uh, the great pitchers in the last uh, five or ten years. As I say, we we address that as well. I also hijacked the uh, the podcast briefly. Of course, uh, the responsibility has fallen to me at Fangraphs to facilitate the Free Agent Contract Crowdsourcing Project, which we appealed to the readership to help us estimate the the years and the average annual values uh, of the contracts that free agents will be receiving so that we might better understand the free agent market. A couple of curious cases have come up, though. Uh, For example, I did not know that Kendris Morales was likely to receive a qualifying offer from the Seattle Mariners, despite the fact that apparently Jack Zurentchik uh, Seattle Mariners' GM, Jack Strennic, has said uh, that he will be extending one to Morales. This game is uh, quite a surprise to me, uh, not the least of which reason was because Morales has failed to record uh, uh, two wins or greater uh, over the last three years that he's played. That's that's one of the reasons why it was surprising to me. But let's, um, let's move to the meat of the thing. Let's do that. Uh-huh. Uh, it's Fangraphs Audio. It features managing editor Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. doubt about it
1: good i have no doubts
0: yeah okay good um man 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 yeah just look at these levels how you doing dave cameron i'm good how are you good yes i'm doing very well yeah what's what's for dinner in paris tonight uh we're not there yet well
1: it's like what six
0: five yeah five actually
1: five okay
0: yeah so we're not there yet um
1: but you would be if you were like 70 or me
0: yeah, you eat, early. you eat on the early side.
1: I eat like at 5.30 or 6. I don't think it's that early. You guys all seem to think I'm crazy.
0: No, I, I mean whatever. I always feel like people could do what they want. Hey, you know, I was ruminating on something that you had mentioned earlier and you were talking about the tax, like the the living in New York, the New York tax.
1: Yeah, right.
0: And I was wondering under what – because you had mentioned for job, but I, there must be other situations in which you regard it. Well, here's why. So like I went by a theater today, right? I was walk I walked by theater and I was like, oh man, there are a lot of theaters in Paris. And I was like, Yeah, you just don't see that many theaters in other cities. And I was like, well there are a lot of theaters in New York, so maybe if you were like someone who loved theater, that would be a reason to pay the tax, maybe. Maybe,
1: but I mean I think if you factor in the cost of each play or, or show that you're going to go see uh, including the the tax that you're paying just to live in that city in order to be able to go to the theater, you're paying an astronomical figure per play. To the point where maybe you could just have the production come to your house. Like you figure out, a, you could pay you know, everyone a, in the company, right, just like move them all down and say, you know, I've got a pretty big backyard down here in Alabama. It's going to be cheaper for me to bring you to me than it is for me to pay to live in New York or Paris for a year.
0: Yeah, or or alternatively, it seems like another suggestion you might have is that. You could now make a part of your life if you live in, uh, say Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Yep. You could fly, uh, once a month, uh, right. to New York and you could, uh, see all the, all the plays you wanted to.
1: Right. And I think that was one of the suggestions I made in the, the last time we talked about this. And someone in the comment section said that you have to factor in the value of time, which is true. I mean, you know, there's, it's not insignificant to, you know, have to get on an airplane and, uh, you know, all the things that go along with travel. Uh, there is some value of time, and if you're that rich and you can afford to do that your the value of your time is probably quite high uh so you know there i wouldn't say there's no reason to ever live in a big city. I do think uh for maybe more people than not uh living in a big city requires them to pay a tax that they don't have to pay
0: right well here's another question: What if you are a non native speaker? Because, like for example in a in a larger city you'll f- frequently find um large groups of people who have emigrated from the same country. Right. And there's a tradition of that.
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point of like, you know, uh, basically along uh, ethnic lines that that basically limits where certain people can live. I think, you know, Hispanics at this point can probably live anywhere. There's Hispanic culture in probably almost every city in America. There's actually a really large Hispanic culture in the South. So while people don't necessarily think of the South as a bastion of, of uh diversity um i I think think yeah yeah, i mean you know there's a huge farming community here and you know hispanics do a lot of uh of the farming in america to to the point where it's uh probably disproportionate to what it should be but um you know i think if you're from you know a a an english person speaking in paris uh i would imagine that that probably creates some Some different issues.
0: Well, it does. So, for example, like, there's a, um, there's a neighborhood near where I live, which is, like, you know, definitely for, for, um, people who've come from Africa. And that's all African people. And there's a neighborhood not far from me where it's clearly all Indian people. And they speak, you know, whatever, I I guess Hindi or something. And, uh, but there's no, like, you're from America and you just didn't take the time to learn the language <laughs> neighborhood. They don't have,
1: like, an ignorant people neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. These are the slouches.
0: Yeah, there's no, they haven't set that aside. Um so you just kinda find places the lucky part is that most people speaking
1: i mean doesn't almost every large city have like an expat bar or an expat part of town? oh yeah you know
0: it's so it's actually had that that's not a problem it's mostly just like awkward um encounters on the street but like 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 the cafe i go to in the morning there's actually two of them where they speak english like like i'll speak a little bit of french but they're like no no don't don't worry we got you
1: we we don't want to hear you attempt to butcher our language
0: (laughs) yeah yeah right so yeah that's it um Uh, Okay, listen, uh, before we get to the playoffs quickly, I just want to run over – you know, the listener uh, might well be aware that we're doing the contract crowdsourcing for free agents right now. We are. And so just three points. Uh, It was actually two, but uh, to make it three because it's more – I don't know. It's more um, appealing to do things in threes um, Then this. That's what I've done. Uh, I emailed you about one of them, and I can't believe the answer is still true. I put up the the form – the crowdsourcing form for Kendris Morales, and I did not even make mention. I didn't ask people even to weigh in on whether or not the Mariners would offer him a qualifying offer. Uh, a, because not, you know, I don't, you know, I'm distant from that situation, I guess. But also, B, just because I figured it was a, it was um, an absurd maneuver. And yet, uh, the bulk of the comments were to the effect that, in fact, the Mariners do plan to offer him a qualifying offer, and not only that, that uh, Scott Boris and Morales plan on rejecting it.
1: Yeah, that's basically what has been said publicly. Uh, I don't know if you've actually noticed, the Mariners have, uh, filed an actual form with the, uh, league office to change their name to the Seattle Absurd Maneuvers. Uh-huh. So, th- this is, uh, gonna be part of the status quo for them because they do things like this. I mean, I think the Mariners are, uh, you know, they've become, uh, once again, a very old school mindset. They got rid of all their stat guys. Uh, they look at Kendrick Morales and say, Big bat, RBI guy, super valuable. We need that. And uh, they think $14 million for a big bat RBI guy, despite the fact that, you know, he can't run, he can't field, he doesn't really get on base that much, and he's not that big of a bat. Uh, they still think he's he's pretty great. Uh, well, you
0: need – so this uh, – I imagine that um, – I feel like we discussed it before, that there's some virtue to having some – diversity within your lineup, right? Like if you have all guys who are totally glove first, regardless of how many runs they save on that side, if you're not throwing someone up there who can, uh, I guess, who, who could be someone intimidating as a batter, then then there, it's like um, there is a value, the opposite of value added, value taken away by compi- by compiling the problem, compounding the problem.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, from a lineup perspective, uh, I'm not sure that's entirely true. Like, I think there's probably not a situation where if you had nine slap hitters, they would, uh, do worse than if you had, you know, eight slap hitters and then an equally bad power hitter who just never got on base, so he was equal in offensive value, but he was different. Uh, but I do think, obviously in the American League, there's significant diminishing returns to putting a glove first player at DH. Because he never plays the field. So you have this lineup spot where a, a player like Kendris Morales is a kind of a perfect fit for an American League team who just wants to get a hitter in the lineup, uh, and his defensive, his lack of defensive value doesn't really hurt them. Uh, I do think that there's, um, maybe a, an, an added cost where if you don't have a player like Morales who's the everyday DH and, and can't play the field and gives you basically no flexibility there, uh, you can rotate players through the designated hitter spot, you can uh, platoon much more easily Uh you can use the dh to give players half off days where they're not playing in the field and if they're injured they you know can keep a good player in the lineup i think there are, is some kind of uh, um, advantage to having the DH almost be like a rotating cast of characters, so I do think there's still some cost to having a DH, but, you know, I don't know that I buy into the idea that you have to have diversity in type of hitter, Uh I think, you know, maybe with platoons and, and lefties and righties, it's definitely good to um not have all, like, nine right-handed hitters and nine left-handed hitters, Uh and Morales being a switch hitter helps, but at the same time, the added benefit of that is more on the fringe and and you know minor th- considerations versus uh, is this guy actually going to produce enough runs to be worth 14 million dollars? The Mariners think he is. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to get stuck with him. Uh, not that he's necessarily going to have to take the qualifying offer. I think they're probably going to give him a multi-year contract at something close to the 14 million a year he would get from accepting it. But I don't think any other team in baseball is going to be interested in giving up a first-round pick for an immobile DH who can't run.
0: Yeah, it should be noted, um, you know, this is cherry-picking a little bit, but the uh, Tampa Bay signed James Loney for $2 million, and he put up roughly the same offensive season that uh, Kendris Morales did.
1: Yep, and Jameleon, probably the best the first baseman in baseball, or one of them. Kendris right. Morales can't play the field more than once or twice a week without his ankle hurting and, and having to DH for several weeks at a time. So, uh yeah, I mean, the idea that Kendris Morales is a $14 million player is a little bit absurd, and there's not really any reason to think that uh he's going to return that much value or that if you had $14 million to spend, that's the best you could do. Uh The Mariners aren't really looking at it that way. They're looking at it and saying... We have a minimal score runs since like, you know, Alexander the Great roamed the earth. Uh, we can't let our best hitter go. That would be embarrassing. We must do whatever we can to keep him. Uh, and I think they're gonna probably get snickered by Scott Boris into giving him a three or four year deal. Mm,
0: uh, what, alright, so two quick other points. Matt Garza, Matt Garza was traded so he's not, he doesn't qualify for a qualifying offer, right? Yes,
1: correct. He's not,
0: he's not eligible for one. Okay. Yes. That was uh, point number two. Point number three, um, it's, it's, um It's a little bit upsetting. Am I? Am I not uh, correct? It's a little bit upsetting when Roy Halladay is bad. I just happened to be uh, to be doing his uh, form today, and I was looking at video from his last start, which he left in the first inning.
1: Yeah, he was throwing eighty-three.
0: Yeah, and he was like really sweaty and looked like sick, maybe.
1: Yeah, he did. He looked broken.
0: Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to verify that that was the case.
1: I think any time you have shoulder issues, uh Eno's written about this and I think Jeff Zimmerman has as well. Uh if you have serious shoulder problems, uh your the end of your career is very near, and I think unfortunately the end of Roy Halliday's career is probably not too far away.
0: Uh, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. Yeah. Okay. Well uh let's see. Uh so uh, last night Detroit beat uh, uh Detroit beat Oakland. Uh it's not so much that um Sonny Gray pitched poorly. Uh I think he had a uh, maybe uh, get himself out of a couple of uh, jams, but J- Justin Verlander um, had, by some accounts, you could argue, w- one of the best starts of his career, uh, at least in terms of inducing swinging strikes. Which, uh, per Jeff Sullivan today, I think he what he tied a record or set a record in that. Regard. Yeah, he
1: had what 24 swinging strikes. I think that was the most he's ever had in a game. Uh, pretty good, Justin Verlander. I think one of the funny things is three or four months ago. Uh, people were basically writing off Justin Verlander. He had a, like a string of, you know, mediocre starts by results. His peripherals were still okay, but uh, his ERA was elevated. Uh, and people were like, oh yeah, Justin Verlander's starting to get worse. He's not what he used to be. And then over the last month, he's been better than he ever was. And Justin Verlander's like, nope, I'm still dominating.
0: Yeah, that, yeah, and that's crazy. And the, the other, uh, very curious thing was like, what was it, 18 of those swinging strikes? Or was like like, oh, were, were by fastball? And, and it was like, it was like 20, it was like a full quarter of the fastballs he threw he got swinging strikes on.
1: Yeah, I think the TBS the post-game guys, uh, I don't generally watch a ton of the pre and post-game, but I left the game on a little bit last night. And, uh, Dirk Hayhurst, I thought, did a nice job of, of showing how Verlander really just pounded the A's with fastballs up toward the top of the zone. And it's not even fastballs out of the zone, which, you know, obviously most hitters can't hit a fastball over their head. Uh, but Verlander really lived kind of a, slightly above the belt, uh, in that, like, borderline strike area. Uh, that I think the um, Herace, Her- Hayhurst called it the forbidden fruit zone, where it looks really tempting, but you just can't hit it. Uh, and Verlander basically just lived up there with a fastball all day, and this is what you can do when you're in the upper 90s. If you throw you know, 89 up there, it's going to go a really long way. If you throw a 97 up there, you're going to get a lot of swings and misses.
0: Well, I feel like maybe, perhaps we've talked about a pitcher recently who – Well, this was the thing with with Trevor Bauer. I know that that came up maybe a year ago or a little more than that, where he was he was discussing uh, the high strike or you know you know working higher in the zone with the fastball. Um, But that is that is a trade off for pitchers, I suppose, who are working with less velocity. Uh, For as you mentioned, for Justin Verlander though, I I guess he can just do it because he's. I mean, he was sitting at 95, right, and he and he and he hit uh, 98 or 99 a couple times.
1: Yeah, I mean Verlander still has uh some pretty significant velocity. Uh, especially when it seems like when he has in playoff starts or it's in situations that matter he doesn't need to dial it down as much as he does in the regular season sometimes. Uh so I think with Verlander, uh he has the ability to pitch up in the zone like most pitchers do not. And you know, I think we see some fly ball pitchers who are uh pretty homer prone. I mean even Joaquin Benoit does this. Benoit pitches up in the zone. Almost exclusively with his fastball, uh, even though his fastball is you know low to mid nineties uh, instead of high nineties, and he you know Benoit gives up some home runs. It's like his one flaw as a pitcher is he has a bit of a home run problem. Uh, Verlander can basically overcome that because his fastball is so good.
0: Yeah, yeah. I saw uh, I saw the video from yesterday. Benoit in the in that ninth inning struck out Jay, uh, struck out uh, uh, Donaldson on a. On a changeup or is it like maybe it's a splitter or throws it but it has more uh, more arm side movement than you would expect from a splitter.
1: Yeah, I think I think he calls it a changeup. He
0: he threw a change up to a right hander for straight, it was a nice pitch.
1: Yeah, no Benoit's changeup is his out pitch. I mean okay. I think uh he pitches up in the zone with his fastball and then he throws a lot of change ups. Yeah, that's basically walking yeah. Benoit in yeah. that shell.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe later on, not grass, we can actually have Joaquin Benoit in a nutshell.
1: Right, it let me out, I'm in a shell.
0: Yeah, I'm man. in a nutshell, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, good, well, good, you're familiar with a movie, uh, Austin Powers in this case, from, you know, within the last 20 years. Oh, hate. that's
1: from, that's from a movie? Uh
0: huh. I had no idea. Oh, okay, well there you are. Um. alright, so that's the trick. So a thing that's happened, uh, we can, we can maybe touch, uh, in a second we'll touch briefly on the, um pittsburgh st louis series although just invoking that brings to light this one fact is that um it happened last year this year maybe not all four series but certainly three of the series had one team whose narrative was more interesting than the team uh i guess they were playing and then all three of those cool teams lost
1: yeah, the playoffs suck now. I think that's basically what we can say. <laughs> well, this exact uh, same
0: thing happened last year.
1: I know, it's really obnoxious. For all the, like, uh, baseball is random and the playoffs are, uh, total crapshoot, the best teams keep winning, which is, uh, you know, not so much fun if you're a baseball writer. I think, uh, a Pittsburgh-Oakland World Series would have been, like, super fun, uh, not for baseball, but for us uh you know even tampa bay i mean there were a bunch of teams that were uh interesting they shifted they did crazy things you never knew what their manager was going to do and instead we got like the four high payroll teams with the crap out of the ball and have good starting pitching and you know not that they don't deserve to be here but uh that's less interesting
0: yeah it's yes yeah, it's now is there anything is there anything to suggest that there's i i guess uh something how systemic about it or is it just uh do you really think it is random
1: no, I think it is random. I think, you know, in two of these series, uh, the Cardinals and the Tigers had to go to game five against one of these, like, pithy underdog type teams. Uh, anytime you're playing one game for your season, uh, the results can obviously go either way. Adam Wainwright and Justin Orlando were awesome, but game five last year, Adam Wainwright was not awesome, so it's not like you can say, oh man, whenever you have an ace, you're guaranteed to win these, these clutch games, and then, you know, having a $20 million starting pitcher is the difference in winning and losing. Uh, you know, I think, Basically, you have one game to, to decide your season. It really can go either way. I mean, I think if, you know, the, the pithy underdogs were getting their brains beaten in and every series was a sweep 3-0, then we say, you know, maybe there's something to this. And these teams aren't built for October the same way that these high payroll stars kinds of teams are. Uh, but you know, these series were close besides the Boston Tampa Bay series. That was the only one that wasn't really all that close. Um, so I think we can see that, you know, these kind of, uh, unorthodox, low-payroll teams. They were able to hold their own against the best teams in baseball. Uh, I don't think we want to start turning this into a narrative of, see, the big teams are are so much clearly better. Money is the, thing that only, the only thing that matters.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, so we have in the National League now, we have a National League championship series, including the Los Angeles Dodgers versus the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I guess not shocking, um, given the way mm-hmm. the season went. You can maybe make a case that uh, just given their – uh, regular season performance that Atlanta perhaps deserved better, but, uh, certainly Los Angeles over the last, what, four months of the season, and then St. Louis during, the, you know, the majority of the season, uh, you know, these were the best teams, and I don't know what, do you have, is there anything to say about them? Is there anything interesting?
1: Uh, well, these are about the two best teams in, in the National League, and the two best teams in the American League are playing off, too, so, right, I mean, you know, there's not that much to say besides these teams are good. I do think that the, uh, the Cardinals and their, um situational hitting is going to be a continuing storyline obviously throughout the entire season they were basically the best team ever at hitting with runners in scoring position they were kind of terrible at it in the first round and it almost got them eliminated uh, this is going to be the kind of thing that tbs and and the, the networks are going to continue to kind of shove down our throats is like this is something the cardinals are great at when in reality it's probably mostly randomness beyond the fact that the cardinals just have a bunch of good hitters um, you know whether the cardinals can you know, keep hitting the runners in scoring position in the way they did in the regular season is going to be something that is going to be talked about a lot. And, you know, maybe not, uh, the most interesting story, but something to watch.
0: Maybe if they, uh, if they keep shoving it down your throat, uh, maybe they could, uh, make a baseball nerd foie gras.
1: They could. I don't think foie gras is really that good. I gotta be honest. I've had it a couple times and I didn't like it.
0: Mm, yeah. Um. Sorry. I actually like it.
1: Yeah, well, you, you tend to like, uh, fatty Sorry.
0: food. Yeah. Gavage. Gavage, yeah. I believe, is the term that is used, uh, to describe feeding, uh, what do they do? Feeding probably geese or something like that. Yeah, this seems, Ducks. uh, re- Ducks.
1: relevant. Yeah.
0: Ducks from liver. Yeah, and I guess, uh, if I remember from the end of the season standings, the, uh, the World Series odds, this is even, even before the, uh, the first Wild card playing game um, was played. It was uh, it was definitely uh, the Red uh, Boston, Detroit. I think were one and two uh, flip flop, and then Los Angeles was uh, was third, I think, and probably St. Louis was fourth.
1: Yep, I think um, you know the, the if you said at the beginning of the season or at the beginning of the playoffs. Who are the favorites to win each series? The favorites won each series. And I think that probably is even true in the wildcard games. I think Tampa Bay was probably the favorite against Cleveland. Pittsburgh was probably slightly favored against Cincinnati, given that it was a home game and, and they were starting Francisco Liriano. Uh, I don't think we've seen an upset yet in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, and upsets are... Uh, what, what, what would be the upset in the uh, Dodgers-Cardinals series? Probably the
1: Cardinals. I think you have to look right now and say the Dodgers are probably... The best team in the National League and maybe the best team in baseball. It's them or the Red Sox. I think are the two contenders for the best team in baseball title. So I think uh, Tigers, Cardinals are the underdogs, especially with Miguel Cabrera being hobbled for Detroit. But uh, obviously, you know, not huge underdogs. All four of these teams are very good.
0: Okay. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I think you've done this. These are these have been about twenty twenty one miss. That's what we're at right now. That's fine.
1: Yeah, I think that that sums it up.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, well, let's uh, – maybe we'll meet uh, – I don't know. Maybe we'll do a Tuesday again. We did Tuesday last week uh, or this week. We Tuesday. Tuesday could work. But we'll say tentatively Tuesday. Okay. All we'll, right.
1: We'll do tentatively Tuesday.
0: All right. Thank you, Dave Cameron. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, what, Dave Cameron, managing editor of Fangraphs with a um, oh, with a playoff update. I'm Carson Cistulli. Uh This has been Fangraphs Audio.